it's really hard not to try and prove prove yourself in training. Yeah. You know, think I need to go do this and then it'll look good on Strava or, you know, I, I look at my training diary and, and um, I feel good go. because I, I, yeah, I feel good because I ran for four and a half hours. It's kind of stepping back and going like, how do I feel? It's, you know, and almost getting to that point where you're nicely tired, but you're not destroyed. Yeah. And I, I knew that, you know, if I was running the long run on a Sunday, I needed to be not so tired that I wasn't going to run my intervals on Tuesday and then the hills on Thursday. And it's that it's like having the bigger picture and, and maybe in two or three or four training blocks, I can go and do a long run that's four and a half hours and be, you know, at a good stage of tired. But right now I didn't need to. Welcome or welcome back to the Bertram Podcast, Running Long. I'm your host, as always, Francesco Puppi, and I'm a pro athlete for Nike and also a Bertram coach. Today's guest is Chris Jones, a professional runner for Hookah coming from Wales. Chris placed 8th at the 2023 World Mountain and Trail Running Championship in Innsbruck 2023 in the short trail distance. And thanks to his result, he helped Team Great Britain take home the gold medal with his teammates Thomas Roach and Jonathan Albon. One reason why I decided to invite Chris to this podcast was because he's always been very open about his training and he recently posted a very good article on Substack about his preparation for the World Championship race. He also shared some very interesting reflections on how he managed the race, which was a 45k with 3,400 meters of elevation gain, which is approximately 28 miles and 11,000 feet of vert. Chris has an, an orienteering background and is also really good on the road and on the track, with personal records of 13.45 in the 5K, 28.23 in the 10,000 meters, 63 minutes in the half marathon, and 2.17 in the marathon. For those of you who are new here, Bertrand is the number one app for trail and ultramarathon runners of all levels. Our mission is to make trail running accessible to everybody everywhere through affordable coaching. That's why all our coaching plan costs $25 a month. With your Bertrand subscription, you will get a personal coach who checks in with you each week to answer your questions, adjust your training plan and keep you accountable and inspired. This year, Bert is also the official online coaching for the UTMB Mont Blanc event and the Skyrunner World Series. Discover more on our app and unlock your best finish ever with Bertran. For those of you who want to give to training with Bertran a try, you can also take 30% off your first month of training with the code RUNNINGLONG30. So here we go. Without further ado, Chris Johns. Chris Johns, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. Good to see you. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, recovering okay after last week. So hopefully in time for another race this weekend, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a close one, but uh, the key is to to take it easy and yeah, just see what happens. Yeah, I, I haven't trained any, I haven't done any hard running since the race. So just all easy running and resting. So yeah. 
yeah. I don't want to be like uh, the only one to admit that I've been resting more days than than I have trained wow. since since the race. So <laughs> I, I mean, feel bad about it. <laughs> it was a, it was a hard race. Let's face it. It was um, it was a proper mountain race. Yeah, three thousand four hundred meters of climb. I think I had on my watch. It was yeah, it was really tough. Very incredible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think also like I I was listening to an interview from Stian uh, from before the race, and he actually knew that it was going to be more elevation than what was on the website. Like since he like he ran the route uh, the days before the race, he was like pretty sure that it was going to be more elevation than what we were thinking. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was even harder than planned. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, I, I I thought it was great though. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's I've not done too much mountain running, but it it felt like a proper like alpine race. Exactly, and I think yeah. that's what I think that's what you want from a world champs. You wanted to have the the character of the the country it's in. Exactly. Yeah, I think as uh, as athletes we like to experience what each place where each race is organized has to offer like you yeah. don't want to run like a, a fast course in Innsbruck area but at the same yeah. time you don't want to run you know uh 20 times up and down a hill if there is no mountains in you know some region yeah. so yeah every race is particular has its peculiarities for its own reasons and uh, that's the beauty of trail running oh, absolutely yeah yeah all right so um the main reason for this podcast as we were chatting before starting this conversation um is to talk about your training and race uh leading up to this short trail world championship in Innsbruck 2023 um which i found very very interesting it's not so common to find um so many you know so much insight uh and detailed information and also like your complete training log um for a world-class athlete so i was uh really interested in discussing all of that with you um but okay. maybe to to start uh since i imagine that not everyone from the audience is familiar with your name um maybe give us a short presentation of who you are your athletic background and some of your accolades and athletic endeavors yeah so um yeah chris jones i'm from south wales in the uk uh my my way into sport was was through orienteering yeah so as a, a sort of junior as a 14 year old i took up orienteering through my family and that was really my main sport for probably 10 years after that I went to junior world championships and then on to senior world championships for the UK. Um, and I think my best result in orienteering was probably a third place in the European orienteering championships in the sprint in 2018. Um, but over the years, I kind of got more and more into running as well. Um, just kind of naturally, um, there's not so much orienteering in the UK, yeah. you get kind of into the cross country and hill running scenes as well. And I just did a bit more and more 
running over the years. And I was I was a good runner as a junior. I think I ran uh sort of fifteen twenty for the five K as an under twenty. But um which I mean is it's it's a good time. Um, you know, low fifteen minutes is a good time, but I think as a um the people other the other under twenties at that time, you know, the best under twenty in the UK was running thirteen forty. Yep. So I was I was good as a junior, but I wasn't great. Um but over the kind of the years I got a bit better and a bit better. And I think twenty sixteen was probably a bit of a breakthrough year for me. Um I got my first uh Welsh international vest. And then in twenty seventeen I got my first Great Britain vest. Um which was ten thousand meters on the track. Um, now that that race went terribly, but it was the first vest, and uh, it was kind of a, a big moment for me because, it, you know, as a as a younger runner, there was I never thought that I'd be running at that standard. Yeah. Um, since then, I've run for Great Britain, um, kind of across a range of disciplines. I've run. Uh, That's awesome, I think. This is something to highlight because, like, yeah. not many athletes have been able to do so. Like. There is just a few that I can name that have been able to run with their national team jersey in so many different disciplines from cross country to road running to track to trail and mountain running. Because you, I think you were at the half marathon world championship yeah. in 2020? 2020, yeah, in yeah. Poland. Yeah. yeah. And then you ran the European cross country championship also. And yeah. you were mentioning the. European 10,000 meter yeah. cup. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's really impressive. I, I think, and coming from orienteering, you, you just, you race in everything. So it's kind of my background is that I was always, um, you know, fast for an orienteer. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the strongest on the, in the terrain and up the hills, but, um, you know, I had good speed. Yeah. So, But yeah, you get you get to be a versatile runner. Yep. And I, I over the last kind of five years I've kind of leaned into that a bit more. And I it just because there's so much out there in sport, rather than sticking to one thing, it, it's quite fun just to to do everything. Um that's a little it, bit it, my approach too. <laughs> yeah. I like to challenge really, myself with different yeah. races and distances and disciplines, yeah. even if it's always running, but I've been racing on the track, on, on the yeah. roads, in the marathon, the 10,000 meters. And I find that approach very interesting. Like it's a, it's yeah. a good personal challenge. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll probably agree that it can be really hard at times because if you try to do everything, you sometimes end up not doing so well at some things. Yeah. But I think that's... It depends how intentional you are, I think. It's not true that you're not training specifically for something if you try to combine different disciplines, I think. It depends, like, what is your intention uh, and how you structure your preparation, as always. Because I think, like, you know, road races or even track races can be part of your training for a mountain race or a trail race, for example. Yeah. Maybe it's the opposite is not true. But we've seen uh, really good examples like you, like me, like uh, Ninka Brinkman, for example, last year, yeah, who was able to combine 
so well uh trail i'm on the running with road running and the marathon in that yeah. example yeah so yeah i agree yeah so i mean that's that's essentially me in a nutshell i've, I've kind of done a bit of everything over the the last few years I, i'd still describe myself as an orienteer mm-hmm. but it's uh it's the last few years i've been kind of trying to do everything and and yeah it's it's yeah. quite fun We've seen a, a few orienteering athletes coming over to trail running and they've done really well, like Fred Turnshant, which yeah. you probably know him, and Tove Alexanderson, who plays second yeah. in the up and down race at the World Championship in Innsbruck. Uh, yeah. He's a super strong schema uh, trail runner and, uh, of course, orienteering athlete. So yeah, I think the crossover the, is becoming more and more common. Yeah, and, and the, there's kind of, there's a, there's a bigger range in, Kind of physical ability in orienteering because i mean there's also a huge part of it is, is map reading yeah but um the the kind of athletic ability at the top is is really high yeah so it's um it's great to kind of see that in in different sports i mean andrew blanes as well as yeah, i mentioned because exactly. he's he's done fantastic since moving over to kind of more kind of running based uh yeah. things yeah it's, it's always really good to see, and I think you, you know you always kind of have a good uh, camaraderie with people from from orienteering as well. Yeah, yeah. that's that's really interesting. What do you think are some of the you know abilities or specific um, training methodologies or features that make an orienteering athlete um, really good? in in trail running like what do you think you have more than maybe other athletes who just focus on trail running i think i think you end up being you know say quite versatile you you end up you know as a over my orienteering career i've raced in kind of towns and cities i've raced on hills and mountains i've raced in forests and all different sorts of terrain so you get to be quite versatile but in terms of training I think there's a big range in, in training. I, I probably train quite similar to kind of a, well, I train in the kind of British way where you have a, you know, intervals on a Tuesday and long run on a Sunday. And there's probably, you know, different ways of training that the Scandinavians might use or the Swiss guys might use. But um, I also think with orienteering, you get quite, um, you get to be quite good at racing because you know, you, you race a lot and then you also have, um, it, it's all down to you when you're out there. Most most of it's um, sort of time trial start and you have to be in control of your own thoughts and own processes and you get to be quite, um, I, I think you get to be quite a consistent racer because of that. Because if you're up and down, you you only need one down over the course of a race to, you know, ruin a, an orienteering race um, because you can make a, you could lose a lot of time with a small sort of lapse in concentration. So I think you get to be quite a good, good racer. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so, yeah, thanks for giving us this, um, great introduction um as i mentioned i wanted to focus more our conversation on 
the world championship experience starting from a little bit behind um because in in 2023 so this year you will we were able to balance training for a road marathon in february which ran in seville and a trail world championship of 45k with 3400 meters of elevation in Innsbruck in June. And this is something really interesting. Um, and I would like to better understand how in your case, one preparation has helped the other. Um, so the first question that I'm gonna ask from, that I'm gonna start from is um, um, if you can reflect a little bit on on that and how you feel about your training and your result in Seville in the marathon. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I'd probably have to go back a little bit further because sure. um, so last year... Let's start from uh, last year's World Championship in, in Thailand. Well, well so la last year's <laughs> was the um, was the Commonwealth Games okay. in Birmingham. And it's it's not such a big thing outside of uh, the Commonwealth. But for, um, for me, certainly as a, a Welshman, it's the only opportunity you get to compete for, for Wales on a on a kind of big stage yeah. uh, and it's a you know it's a big multi-sport games and and you know I'm, I'm quite realistic that I'm probably not ever going to go to the Olympics so um, you know I, I kind of targeted that for a number of years and I ran the qualification time so I ran 28-23 in the 10,000 meters in wow. 2021 which was fast enough to get me a qualification time. But then I, I ended up not getting selected. So, you know, 2022, I'd built up as being this big um, kind of big goal for me to run the Commonwealth Games. And um, yeah, it didn't happen. And I, I was very frustrated, very kind of uh, burned out with everything because I put so much of myself into this one thing. And it ended up not working. Um, and that's essentially why I pivoted away from the track for a bit, because I, I, I couldn't see myself racing on the track for a little while until, until I could kind of put that to bed. Um, so I went and did, uh, I went and did some hill running and ended up going to the, world championships in thailand which was fantastic um but the whole time i kind of had in my mind not to focus on what the performance was yeah. because i've been so focused on the outcome yeah. for so long of, yeah. of going to those games that actually i just wanted to go and and do things that weren't performance focused that okay i still wanted to perform well but it was more about the experience and and in particular, about learning stuff that I could apply in the future. So kind of the whole point of Seville for me, I mean, it was my first marathon. And what I wanted to do was just kind of figure out how, how to train in the future for a marathon. Yeah. Because I, I kind of think I know quite well what works for me for 10K and half marathon. But it was just about trying to sort of test, change a few small things and see how well it went for the marathon. So, um, yeah, I wanted to run faster. I ran 
217.50 something. And I was aiming for for 215 and, and I hoped actually I'd run something starting with 214, so 214.50 something. But um, I actually think fitness-wise, I was maybe, well, I was, I think I was slightly better, but I had um, some problems with a stitch at the end of the race in my side. So, um, but it's not, what I, what I want to be very clear, I'm not saying... I was in the fitness to run 215 because I think sometimes you see people say, oh, I could have done better. But actually, it was more, right, okay, I, I did the marathon. I had these problems at the end that you just don't ever get in a shorter race. Yeah. Because you run for two hours. And, you know, I, I had, it's, a, it's a completely different feeling. Yeah. And I... It's it's been quite a change for me this last year uh, to run races that are that long because you, you all of a sudden your nutrition becomes a much bigger deal. Trying to get specificity in training is is hard. You know, if you if you're training for the 10k, you can go and run a session of 25 by 400 in a 10k pace, and that's really specific because you run. 10k at 10k pace with a few rests yeah <laughs> in training for the marathon you're not going to go and run 42 kilometers in training or at least i'm not sure that's the best approach so it's exactly. trying to figure out yeah how do you approach the training and i think that's probably the thing i lacked with the um the marathon build to Seville was I, did, I was very fit, but I wasn't particularly specifically prepared for the marathon. Okay. I was I was in good half marathon shape, and then the second half I just did you fade a little bit it. in the second half? I, I faded a bit, and then I had this stitch, so mm. I, I I faded very quickly then. Um, but yeah, it's it was. I say it's. I I I wanted to run faster, but I it's kind of nice just to actually have. Um, to end up being in a position where you don't run faster and then you but you have all these new ideas where you go actually you know I need to give this more focus and this less focus or things like that so yeah, exactly you you get a, a good indication on what to work on for next time and it's yeah. always a good learning experience so there is much more yeah. than the results itself and it's it's quite a refreshing it's I mean it's quite a refreshing mindset because yeah as I say I was so focused on the end results last year yep. um, I just need this kind of time to go look I'm not I am worried about the results I think it's really hard to step a, start a race and not think about the result but of course yeah yeah trying to detach ourselves a little bit from from that is is definitely good uh it, it's not that the result doesn't matter because we are athletes um and it does matter we go to a yeah. race because you know at the end of the race there is a ranking and next to your name there is your result and your time yeah. um but we also do it for the experience because we enjoy it because of the process um of the choices that we can make yeah. or not make in training so it's much more than that. And I think uh, even this World Championship experience uh, was a little bit 
like this for you because your blog mm -hmm. post starts from a really good um, reflection um, that I want to read because I find I found it very inspiring. Um, I try to plan training based on a set of goals. These goals mostly don't relate with the end result. They relate more to the qualities I want to develop and what I want to bring and explore in training. I still think about the result. I, it would be hard not to, but I find that having other things to focus on as well as the target results can take a bit of pressure off. I have focused too much on the results in the past to the point where it feels like it's the only thing that matters. It's really hard when it doesn't go to plan. I'm trying to focus more on the process of training, figuring out the aspects that have the biggest effect, adding and removing details to change the focus. So you want to add a few thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I mean that kind of covers what we've been talking about now. It's just, um, I think we always, we need to start from somewhere when, yeah. we, when we plan training, when we, and I think understanding why you're doing a race or why you're doing the training is is really important. But I think I think I found this last year that I'm doing the training because I want to, you know, be top five in the world. It's actually less of a, or it's it's a harder motivation than I want to do this training because I want to develop in X Y Z. Um, obviously you do the, you have, you need both, you need outcome goals and you need process goals, but it's just that kind of shift towards, um, thinking about the process, thinking about developing and not, yeah, not, not kind of, I think, I think it was that putting your worth on the outcome, which I think most athletes have probably done at some point is yeah. I've won this race, therefore I'm great or I've lost this race, therefore I'm rubbish. Yeah. Whereas you're never, you're never as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as you think you are, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. 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 It's something very, very relatable and that I've been reflecting on a lot. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's race as a purpose, um, or at least it should have. Um, and uh, each preparation is a fun chance to explore some of our limits and to get closer to to them. So you yeah. make small adjustments and see what works, what doesn't at each preparation. And you try to get the best out of yourself each, each time. Yeah. So I think that's the main motivation for athletes like us. Um, so for this race, you wrote that your focus was to improve uh, on your uphill running and uh, fueling during long efforts yeah. um and that if if you could nail those two aspects in your preparation you would be satisfied um so let's get into the details of your preparation um as we mentioned yeah. you started 2023 with a flat marathon which ran in seville at the end of february you took a couple of weeks of recovery and then two training blocks for worlds uh a five-week training block building volume and time in the hills and then an eight-week block with the specific long runs and uphill running. What's the idea behind those two training blocks, and how did you implement the workouts in each of them? Yeah, so really the, the kind of first five weeks, I mean, I kind of look at the training as one block, 13 weeks, okay. 
but the first five weeks is kind of like a, a more of a transition. So I obviously came in the winter, I was doing marathon training and I was doing lots of long runs, but I was doing flat long runs. And maybe my longest long run was two hours 20, two hours 30. But I needed kind of a little bit of time just to build back to doing uh, hilly long runs and long runs that were at that time kind of up to about three hours. Um, just to, because I think changing anything quickly in training is, is quite a recipe for, for injury and, and problems. So it was just kind of going, right, okay, I'm going to take a few weeks to, to do this transition. Over. Yeah, run on the hills a bit more. Um, I also kind of wanted a bit more. Uh, I was doing Tuesday and Friday sessions on the marathon and kind of I wanted to do Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for this. Um, it didn't always work like that. but um, So I kind of just a transition to kind of having a few more um faster runs in the week rather you know same workload but spread out over more days yep. um and just to kind of build in that a bit of routine before you start really pushing things so it's almost like you, you start you start doing the training but you're not 100 percent, so that when you get to the important time which i think is is kind of closer to the competition you can start to push the boundaries a bit more and, you know, do some harder sessions. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main idea behind it. When I, when I plan training, I try to think about like qualities. So my, I have a, I have a sports science degree and, um, so my background is sports biomechanics, yeah. but I know enough about physiology and that kind of thing to actually I lean away from it when I plan training because I think there's this, if you know a little bit, you think you know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so when I, when I think about training, I go, right, okay, what qualities do I want to train? Do I want to, um, I want to train my ability to sustain high speed uphill. And that, that's like a nice quality that I can think about. So it's not, so rather than thinking about you know your VO2 max and your threshold and I kind of think about these um, yeah qualities and then translate it into like a, translate those into my training plan rather than try to go very scientific about it because as I say I, I think I could think I'm too clever if I if I do that yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't always translate um, into running fitness the way you expect. Like one thing is to plan on paper and then the other thing is to go out and do the workouts and see how your body absorbs them. So, yeah, I mean, you need a bit, like you definitely need some information and science and training background, but you also need to to be smart and have it have experience on especially on yourself to to be able to make the most out of your training i think thank you so much for listening to running long in this quick break i just wanted to share with you a message from one of the athletes that we coached through bertrand named earl 
Earl is from the United States and in April he finished the Big Turtle 50 miler in Kentucky, beating his previous PR by over two hours. He says, completing goals is a lot easier when you have a support team and a coach. I started with Bertrand in January 2022 and it's made a huge difference. I initially thought coaches were just for elite runners until I tried it for myself. The small amount I pay monthly is a steal. Coaching keeps me motivated, answers my questions, and the ongoing adjustments during training help me stay healthy. We were really proud to be able to coach Earl and watch his progress as an athlete. This is just one example of the progress that our athletes have had thanks to Bertrand. Earl is an explorer athlete who trains with our $25 a month coaching subscriptions. If you want to try out Bertrand Coaching too, Remember that you can get a 30% discount as a podcast listener with the code RUNNINGLONG30. Back to the podcast. I, I've been, I, I wrote the post and I've been posting my training like every week, but I think, I think the interesting thing I found is, is people don't understand that necessarily, is, is how much I, you have to adapt it, how much you have to um, you know, change things according to how you feel and that you know, I've had people kind of say that, you know, you don't see elite athletes post when training goes badly, which yeah. I think is true. But it's that kind of like everyone's training goes badly. And yeah. even the very best athletes, they probably have a lot more, you know, average training sessions that are not special. Yeah. But then you see the ones on social media where they're, you know, superhuman. And you don't see all the the average stuff, so it's quite nice to just kind of um, try to cut through that and just go, look, here's everything. Um, exactly. There's no secrets. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I really appreciated your your posts and you know, also being able to to kind of get updates from from your Instagram posts on how your training was every week because like uh, at the end of each each week you sort of posted a yeah. recap of how the week went and your mileage and your sessions and your yeah. your splits so i th- i thought that was was interesting um can you so like another idea that was behind um your preparation for for this race was to uh add a little bit more intensity during the week with three workouts instead of two, as you did for the road marathon. Um, and you described that as similar to like double threshold training, which is popular among the regions, uh, but maybe not as extreme. Um, did you find that it gave you benefits? Like how did you handle three hard sessions instead of two uh, every week? And how did you combine that with uh, the classic Sunday long run? Yeah, I mean, so I, when I when I look at people's, I, I try to look and try and find like principles. Yeah. So if you look at like the Norwegians doing double thresholds and they do it twice a week, essentially the Australians quite often do three sessions a week. They'll do Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It's just different. Trying to get more close into the week so more faster running and the the Norwegians control the intensity very highly and I kind of went for a bit of in between is I went for the three sessions 
Um, but I kind of made sure that um, Thursday, which was normally the the uphill session, was quite controlled. Yep. So I, I'd find a treadmill or a stair machine and with a really steep gradient. And, you know, my legs would be working really hard, but my um, kind of aerobic system, my heart rate was was kind of not that high. Um, I think it's quite, I think it's quite interesting. I think it's a, it's a really nice thing to play about with is, is how you, how you, how you kind of play with the faster running, because I think, um, I think I've got this idea over the last few years and it's, it's very influenced by the kind of threshold model and things like that. But actually you want to run a lot of fast running in the week. You don't necessarily want your fast running to be that difficult. Yeah. You know, you want you want to find that uh, kind of re- fast, but really relaxed and smooth. And yeah. and if you can get a lot of that running in, then that's going to be more beneficial to you than. So for me, it might be, you know, I might run three minute Ks on the track, and, and doing ten by a kilometer at three minutes is maybe more beneficial than doing six by kilometers at 245 yep. because you get more workload. It's exactly. slightly slower, but the, you know, the, the running is not so different between 245 and three minutes. And you can recover faster if you control it. So I, I kind of, I really think that's a, a great kind of way to train is actually don't don't go to the well don't kind of give everything in training too often now i think you need to do give everything in training sometimes but um or maybe you just need to race frequently and and you can kind of get the training stimulus there but yeah it's i think i'm going to go back to to two sessions in the long run but I think it's more just about how it works with um, kind of how it fits in the week. Cause I, I work full time and um, yeah, just having a little bit more space between hard sessions sometimes means I can recover a bit better. I, I, I did feel sometimes you got to Saturday and I was, yeah, tired. So Not ready for a uh, workout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're training for the marathon, if you want to gain a really specific long run, a long run with some hard efforts or things like that, it, it kind of helps to have that as a, a standalone. But yeah. I think it's quite it's quite fun to try and just um, I quite want to try doing like a almost double threshold style but with one flat and one uphill. Mm-hmm. I think that could be quite good for uh, for trail running. Just yeah, I, yeah, just almost yeah combine the two and and do that but yeah we'll we'll see if that happens the next time round yeah it could be that you know of course it's the same uh, uh aerobic system that is is working but different muscles are involved so it could give an additional training benefit um yeah. if you combine those two sessions and um yeah, reflecting on what you were saying, I think it's about finding the right amount of training load that you can achieve 
and uh, like spend as much time as you can running at a high speed, but not letting it kill you or yeah, like be detrimental for your performance because if it suppress the the adaptation, the super compensation mechanism that we need to get from from training because we train to you know give our body a stimulus so that yeah. uh, the super compensation mechanism uh, leads to to improvement and better fitness. But if that circle breaks or doesn't work, yeah. we're not going to get any benefit out of that. So. Yeah. yeah, to find that balance is or sweet spot is is probably the the holy yeah. grail of training, and it's, there is different ways to do it. Um, so yeah. every time is the, the fun part is to to figure that out. Yeah, and it's it's not like there's one one thing that's going to work all the time, and one exactly. structure that will work for everyone. It's just about kind of figuring out in dif- dif- how many different ways can you do it, and yeah, and you've got more ways of training in the future. But I think that um, I think we don't sometimes appreciate how long it takes for training to work, and then actually you got to be patient. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be patient. You can't bury yourself because if you train really well for four weeks and then take a week off, you know that might be worse than training. You know, slightly lower for five weeks. Yeah. Um, obviously, you like, need rest weeks and things like that. But yeah. yeah. Also, like, you're not going to see the benefits of some of the choices that you make in training immediately. But maybe you need to spend, you know, a few months doing that thing in order to get any benefit out of that. Yeah. Uh, so you got to stay patient, even if you don't see the results right away. And that's a challenge, I think, because we want you know, immediate results and, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's been interesting for me going trail running because I've, I've had some problems with like muscles on descents at the end yeah. of the race. And it's yeah, I was reading like, about uh, cramps uh, that you experienced yeah. both uh, in Thailand, I think, and, uh, yeah. and also in this race in Innsbruck. And it's just, it's that kind of appreciation that look, I'm racing people who've, done this for a lot longer than I have yeah and it takes time for your muscles to adapt and and of course there's things I can change in training to maybe make them adapt quicker but equally you know maybe I just need to spend more time on the mountains for lot you know you know keep keep at it for several years and then actually I'll be better you know it'll go it'll kind of fix itself just from doing the same thing but doing it for longer um, exactly yeah yeah that is something that i want to to talk about a little bit later um i also wanted to ask you a couple of questions always related to 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 your preparation um one is about the long runs. Um, your longest run was just under four hours for a race that ended up being four and a half hours. And I think a lot of times athletes are afraid that their long runs are not long enough for the race they're signed up to. But I think this is a fear that we should try to get rid of because we should like try to pay more attention to the 
overall quality and consistency of our training rather than how much distance we're covering in just one or two long runs or like the elevation gain that we achieve in those couple of sessions because like the big picture makes a way bigger difference compared to the single workout or, or training yeah. or training session um so if you want to add a few few thoughts on that and how like how did you structure your long run progression yeah i mean i completely agree i think um yeah i, I might have been better if i could have done a long run that was four and a half hours but for me it, when i ran that long run it was the furthest i've ever run or certainly the longest duration i've ever run yeah. and you know doing that in training it carries some risk so you, you can't you can't push it you know my longest run prior to this was maybe three and a half hours i can't go and add another hour on in training without there being some risk of me not recovering or getting injured or something like that so I kind of, I actually, when I ran it, I had an option of a, like a loop at the end, okay. which I didn't, I didn't run because I was, I got to kind of where we started that loop and I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm tired enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't need to go. I'm fine for the day. <laughs> I don't need to go and run this extra loop because this will be enough. And, and I think that's, it's really hard not to try and prove prove yourself in training. Yeah. You know, think I need to go do this and then it'll look good on Strava or, you know, I, I look at my training diary and, and um, I feel good ego. because I, I, yeah, I feel good because I ran for four and a half hours. It's kind of stepping back and going like, how do I feel? It's, you know, and almost getting to that point where you're nicely tired, but you're not destroyed. And I, I knew that, you know, if I was running the long run on a Sunday, I needed to be not so tired that I wasn't going to run my intervals on Tuesday and then the hills on Thursday. And it's that it's like having the bigger picture and, and maybe in two or three or four training blocks, I can go and do a long run that's four and a half hours and be, you know, at a good stage of tired. But right now I didn't need to. And I think that's the um, the thing is you should you should be lazy in a way. You shouldn't want to do more training than's necessary because if you do, it comes with more risk. And if you get the same benefit, you know, if you if you've not trained for you know if you're not trained well before and you you kind of improving if you running eight hours a week and you get the same benefit as running 10 hours a week, you should probably run the eight hours and get the most out of those eight hours before you then run 10 and just kind of build up. And like I say, it, it takes years. Yeah. And I it, think it takes a lot of confidence too, because it's not easy to like, how do you know whether running eight hours a week will give you the same fitness or yeah. benefits as running 10 hours. It takes a lot of yeah. practice and confidence yeah. and yeah. And you don't, you don't know. And I think you, you kind of, you have yes. to, you know, I, I coach myself, but I, I talk to people a lot about this. Yeah. You know, I can talk about training for hours and I try to kind of 
one of the nice things about posting training on social media is you, you start to have conversations with people about it. Um, and then you start to have new ideas and, and that's really cool. You know, you, you, um, how do you like prevent yourself from asking yourself too many questions, like having too many doubts when people maybe make a comment or have an argument about some choices that you've made related to your training? Because I think it takes like training is effective if you have confidence in your plan, your strategy and your choices. So to have that public and people commenting on it all the time, so I think it's not always easy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, I don't think you do. Like, I still have this kind of like, every time I post something on social media about my training or about anything, I have this like moment where I don't want to post it. I don't think you get rid of that because you kind of go, one, is anyone interested? Two, are you going to get, um, you know, someone say something that you don't agree with or something like that? But I just think the benefits of, of posting it is probably outweighs the, the okay. negatives. And like I say, I kind of, I, I kind of want to be challenged in a way as well, um, because as long as it's a, it, as long as it's a nice way, it's not, you know, personal. But I, I kind of want people to go. If I, so one of the things I said in my last, in the second post was about strength training, and I've already had someone comment, you know, with about strength training, and actually, you know, strength training's really good. But it's it's kind of like you want that kind of back and forth, and you want to have those conversations rather than um, yeah, almost. I I know that I don't know everything, and having people question me is 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 okay. At least that's what I tell myself when I don't want to post it. <laughs> it's a good perspective to to keep yeah. to that. But it's we don't. It's know really everything. hard. Yeah, it's really hard and like i say these things i don't um always um you know i don't always follow them through myself it's just how i want to think and sometimes it's yeah it, it's you have the doubts and you have the questions and all of that so yeah yeah that's understandable um and another thing that i found uh interesting about your your training log is that you did quite a few uh, sessions, either uphill or long runs on the Stairmaster or with the treadmill. Was that by choice or like motivated because like you don't have big climbs where you live or what was the reason behind? Yeah, I, I, so I don't have big climbs where I live. I live in Dundee in Scotland and yeah. probably the, the biggest climb within... 40 minutes is maybe 350 meters of ascent. Wow. Um, I did one session where I did that three times. Um, that was a good session. I, it was good. But also with working full time, I can't travel to of course. a hill. We do, we do have some big hills. I can probably get a thousand meter climb within 
maybe an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. But you can't do that on the in an evening after work. Yeah. So I did a few sessions on the treadmill, which were okay. But the the gym I go to, the treadmills, I think only go up to fifteen percent. And it's kind of like um, it's a good session, but you because I wanted to be more about leg strength than necessarily kind of the aerobic benefits, I actually okay. found I wanted it steeper. So I tried the Stairmaster, which again was was good, but it's kind of funny. It's a funny feeling running on stairs because you kind of, if you don't lift your foot high enough, you're going to fall over. So it's, it's quite a um, disconcerting. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, I've, I've seen you kind of talk a lot about training for mountains when you don't live in the mountains. I think there's yeah. certainly options there to do that. And I, I, I didn't feel so strong in the races last in the on the climb in the races last week. But I, actually, I did a session the week before where I felt really strong on the climb. So it's um yeah it's it's i think it's it's certainly possible to develop that kind of climbing strength um without big climbs yeah 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 we do talk a little bit about that on this podcast because of course mountains are not accessible to anyone uh in the world and we believe that anyone can be a trail runner so it's yeah there's always way to to find strategies to train for trail running, even if you live in a city or in a flat place, or you don't always have access to the mountains, um, which, you know, is, is a probably a little similar situation uh, that I have, because if I go out from my door, I don't have like a, a thousand meter climb right in my backyard. Um, so I try to make the most out of the conditions that I have. And most of the time I, yeah, I start my training from my house so i think that's that's convenient um it works um and then of course i i do some specific sessions in the mountains but it doesn't necessarily have to be all the time but i do think that you know comparing myself to other athletes maybe in the top 10 or top 20 of of any big race or of this world championship one of the main differences is that they probably spent more time in the mountains or on the specific oh, terrain. Yeah. So yeah. it's something that you also highlighted in um, in your blog post um, yeah. because you were asking yourself whether you did enough strength and conditioning exercises or like, because like the the, the hill running didn't feel as yeah. good as you were hoping for during the yeah. race. So of course you ask yourself the reason why um yeah. and yeah reflecting a little bit on that i think there's different ways to get fit for uphill running and of course you have to have a good aerobic capacity but also a good strength which you can develop yeah. either in the gym or by running up and down in the mountains so yeah. it could be that um by spending more time in the mountains you get better at running uphill or also downhill yeah. But it could be that you also need more time to adapt to this type of training yeah. that is relatively new um, in your case to yeah. 
get stronger. So yeah, absolutely. And I think it's quite cool, you know, looking at all the different athletes there. You know, there's guys with orienteering backgrounds, guys with yep. track and field backgrounds, guys with kind of mounted sport backgrounds. And actually, there's lots of different ways of approaching it. I got the idea for the Stairmaster from uh, Jack Quenzel. Okay. Jack, yeah. Uh, who obviously does great things in the mountains and he does a lot of his sessions on their master um he's not know, a John... <laughs> no 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 that's really cool. um but i like you know i know sort of john alban and killian do like a session where they kind of do drills up a mountain mm. yeah. there's, there's kind of loads of different things to do but as i say it's it's hard for me coming at it for a 12 week or 13 week block because there's only so much i can achieve yeah um and actually, I was quite, you know, looking back, I'm quite satisfied with the race. I, I think maybe I ran too hard early on. I think that's probably true. I probably got a bit carried away on the flat section where it was nice running. And that's a thought that I also we, had. We were, we, we, were we were running together. Um, it felt easy, but maybe for a four and a half hour race, I would have saved a little bit of more energy yeah. because. Like even the, in the first 10 kilometers that were, you know, we still got a quite a bit of elevation because we were climbing almost 700 meters in the first 10K. Yeah. But for the whole, whole economy of the race, it basically didn't make any difference compared to yeah. like the, the yeah. second half. So I think maybe slowing down there and, and eating yeah. more there would maybe yeah. have been um, slightly better. But um yeah, I, th I just think it's 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 cool to come away from a race with a you know it's still a, I still really happy with my results you know of course it's um, in the world it's amazing in the world it's 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 fantastic but come away and think oh wow if I if I did X Y Z in you know in two or three years time I could be even better yeah I think that's quite a nice place to be yeah um, yeah to to be aware that you maybe you haven't done everything right. So there is room for improvement and you're starting from a really good place. That's a good feeling yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So we, we mentioned a little bit the strategy. Uh, we actually spent quite a bit of time running together in the first section of the race. Then I was able to, to drop you uh, on the second climb. Yeah. And um, you probably had a, a rough spot uh about two-thirds into the race and then you finished quite strong in the in the final part because you were 12th and you managed to catch four people to finish eighth place at the end yeah. um i wanted to ask you a little bit more about your how you handle your nutrition because that's that was also a point that you tried to focus on during your preparation yeah. and you wrote that in four and a half hours, you ate 2.25 liters of fluid, which is approximately half a liter per hour with 350 grams of carbohydrates, which is almost 80 grams per hour, uh, of which 115 grams came from gels and the rest was in form of sport drinks. Um, 2,500 milligrams of sodium and 180 grams of caffeine um 
can you go into details of how you planned and ex executed your nutrition plan? Yeah, so essentially I was trying to get in as much carbohydrates as I could. Um, okay. I had 80 grams this, is, is really good, I think. Yeah, I had this realization after Thailand because I thought I did well in Thailand and I had 60 grams um, per hour. And then I, Stian posted after the race and he did 110 grams in Thailand. <laughs> and I was there going, think, thinking, you know, I've, I thought I did well, but obviously there's another level of what you can get in. Yeah. And I think if I'd have tried to take in that much in that race, I'd have struggled because I wasn't used to it. So I've just tried to, in the last kind of training block, get used to eating on long runs more regularly, whether it's a fast long run or a slower long run, just get used to, you know, upping that amount of carbohydrates you're eating and i i did i did get up to about 100 grams in some runs but it wasn't every run um and i i kind of wrote out the plan for 100 grams um and i had enough food for 100 grams but i just didn't i think i missed out a couple of gels here and there that i didn't eat because well probably because i forgot um so it's just um yeah I, I was quite happy with 80 i say 80 is better than where i was in yeah. thailand um but it's to say yeah i think maybe certainly that section through the town where it was flat and easy running maybe i could have eaten or focused more on getting in fuel while it was easy and then um so i think it's hard when the trail is quite twisting or small mm. yeah. or when you're going uphill. I mean, so I use poles on the second climb yep. uh, or the main climb and, and it's certainly quite hard to eat then. Um, yep. Gels are difficult. Um, How often but, were you eating gels? Um, I think I had five over the race. Okay. So I had quite a lot of carbohydrates in the drink. Yeah. But um, I think I could have done with one or two more gels just to, um, yeah, just just to kind of keep the energy higher. And, and as I say, maybe in certain sections of the race. Um, so I think maybe when I, um, yeah, before the start of that big climb, maybe I just needed a few more sort of, and a gel or two just to like, make sure I was hitting that climb with like energy levels right at the top. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a learning experience. I think you don't get good at these things immediately. Exactly. You have to, you have to practice and you have to kind of improve. And um, yeah, I say it's, it's, it's quite a strange feeling to eat that much in a race. You feel like you're just constantly eating and um, yeah. Yeah, Com compared to your strategy, I was relying uh, much more on gels rather than sport drinks, um, and I, I don't think I I quite achieved the same amount of carbohydrates per hour uh, that you achieved because almost eighty grams is yeah is a really good numbers uh, number I think, um, but I did end up eating 
nine gels throughout the yeah. race. Um, and then the rest was water and uh, one sports drink. So not sure exactly about how many grams I have to make to, to do the yeah. math. So, but yeah, um, of course you need to find your, your own approach and see what works or what doesn't. Um, and then, yeah, set up a good strategy. Yeah. Um, maybe the, the final question reflecting on this whole, uh, world championship experience and also your, your preparation, you wrote that you feel it's important to feel satisfied with your training and reflect, uh, on your, on what you've done, um, how you perceive it and just how you feel about it. Um, and you wrote, I always look at my training and think I could or should do more, more sessions, more long runs, more volume in the week. There isn't much point in doing that without also being able to recover from the training. The challenge is something I will try continue trying to figure out. I think I'm understanding more and more about the challenges of training for a longer distance. Fitting in enough, enough specific work, long sessions at race effort without overdoing is a significant challenge. I think I could have done better and I have some ideas on how I might do this in the future. So what are these ideas? Um, and just, yeah, add a few thoughts on, on that and your whole experience at this world championship. Yeah. I mean, I so say, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the world championship. And I think it's just, I, I, I've, I'm really enjoying the trail because it feels uh, less high pressure. I would turn up to a track race and if I ran 28-20, it was a success. If I ran 28-40, it was a failure. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of difficult. But um, as I've gone to the longer races, I think it's um, it's really tough to, yeah, say do that specific training. Um, and one of the things I was kind of playing about with in this block was actually um, doing kind of long run and just doing some like um, efforts at the end. So you do like a, a two and a half hour long run or something. And then the last 30 minutes you do 10 by a minute. Yeah. And that kind of like actually where you're running faster on tired legs you're still trying to run relaxed and smooth but you you've got some fatigue in the system i think is quite an interesting um maybe tool because i think the difficulty with the difficulty i find training for seville was i did some really good marathon sessions but actually if i think my biggest marathon session i did was was four by 5k with two minutes of rest. And I think I ran 15.45 or so for each of the 5Ks. So good marathon pace. But I, I got to Seville and I was running, you know, I got halfway through and I was further than I'd ever been kind of, um, I'd ever run at marathon pace. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things you say as well, do you, know, do you need to do a 30K marathon pace session? You know, should I have done six by 5K? But then it starts to get really, like, unwieldy. 
And actually, what I think the quite could be quite a nice tool is to not increase the session, but actually just move it later in the run. So rather than doing, you know, 5k warm up, 5k warm down, you do 10k warm up and a shorter warm down and you just move the session. So it's, okay. you're running on fatigue, yeah. but, and I, I think even that could apply with shorter efforts. So not the kind of typical marathon pace sessions, but kind of like a fartlek yeah. at the end of a long run. Or maybe for the trails, you do a kind of long run and then you run a, you know, 20 minutes hard on a climb at the end and just you get a little bit more used to running um, this kind of like specific effort where you're a bit tired. It's not a, you know, it's not a hard, it's not a hard long run, but you've got a little bit of hard running when your legs are tired. And that kind of thing, I think, could be quite a, an interesting thing just to play around with. Yeah. And as I say, it's, it's, they're never big things. Small Actually, the, yeah. the, 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 you know, the basics of training are quite, you know, easy, you know, you, you have to run a lot and you have to run some of it fast and some of it easy. And it's just how you slice it is kind of where all the, the interest is. And so it's just, I say just playing around with things like that, playing around with where I put things in the week. So maybe, you know, can you shift things? So I'm running, you know, a long run on a Wednesday or something like that, where you just kind of just play around with how, how it works with kind of everything else and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's just all, it's all kind of a big experiment and it's, uh, um, I say you, you hopefully keep the things that work from one training block to the next. And I think, yeah, trying to understand those basics is really important because then you don't, you don't meddle with the basics. You meddle with like the, the small details and you find, you know, actually even things like, um, it's kind of quite a, a popular marathon session is K on, K off. So yep. 1K on, 1K off. And I've, I've seen people run it on the track, but in Dundee, the track can be quite windy. So if you run 1K on, 1K off, you end up with some some of them being more into the wind than others. So actually maybe 800 on, 800 off, it's slightly better for me at Dundee because you the wind is the same on the recovery and the hard running so it's, it's little things like that which yeah. um i say might not seem that important and probably aren't that important in the grand scheme of things but just make it slightly easier to do the training and to do it consistently um yeah i think that's the thing is, is it's just making sure you do it consistently and you you know you give it time to work and if you if you can tweak small things so that you can achieve that, then that's, yeah, that's really good. Very well said. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, training is always a fun problem to figure out. I like to see it as a, as a problem that we are constantly trying to solve um, and a challenge to understand and 
apply to herself. Um, and I think it's this is especially true if you are a self-coached, uh, like in your case. I do have a coach, um, and luckily I'm I'm able to discuss a lot with him about my training and the choices that we make. It's always uh, both of us who sit down and write the training plan. It's not like I just take the training plan from my coach and apply it um, or, you know, I don't have an influence on the choices that I make in when writing my, my own plan. So yeah. it's good. Um, it's what we really like and uh, what we'll be always trying to, to figure out and get better at. Chris, yeah. it's been a huge pleasure to talk to you. I don't know no, if uh, there is anything that you wanted to add. Uh, on top of our no, conversation. No. I say thank thank you for inviting me. It's, I I have to admit I didn't um because I'm so new to trail running, I had no idea who you were until uh Thailand. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um but since Thailand I've listened to the podcast quite a lot. So I've oh, listened you. to a, quite a few and I think it's a really great um thing for the sport just to have essentially one of the best athletes trying to lift other people up. Which Thank I think you. is is fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate. So, um, well, good luck with your race and the rest of your season. And I hope, I hope, and I imagine that we will cross paths again yeah. very soon. Hopefully, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to our great interview today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player or by sharing it on social media, tagging me and Bertrand. We would really appreciate that. If you haven't already downloaded the Bertrand app, I encourage you to do so. There, you can connect for free with our trail runners of all levels in the Bertrand community in our in-app groups. You can stay in trail shape with our free workout videos and get affordable coaching for your next trail running goal for only $25 a month. Thanks again for being here today. Until next time. I'm Francesco Puppi. Thank you for listening to Running Long.